0: This podcast is presented by the Prince George's County Memorial Library System.
1: Hi, I'm Hawa. Oh, are you doing special <laughs> guests or are you doing it with No, us?
2: I'll do it. I just did
1: know what order. Okay, okay. that way, I guess. Okay.
2: Hi, I'm Hawa.
1: I'm Kelsey. I'm Heather.
0: And this is our podcast, These Books Made Me. Today, we're diving into Anne M. Martin's series, The Babysitter's Club. Much like our American Girl episodes, there's simply too many books to tackle the whole series at once. So we'll be kicking things off with the first two Christie novels. Friendly warning, as always, this podcast contains spoilers. If you don't yet know who lives with a ghost, proceed with caution. We have a special guest today. Can you introduce yourself?
3: Hello, everyone. I'm Jessica St. soume librarian by day and entrepreneur by trade. So was this everybody's first time reading these books? This
0: was, I believe this was my first time reading these books. Like, I remember seeing the books around a lot, and I may have read some of them, but I don't know if it was these. So I'm going to just say yeah, because I didn't remember anything.
2: This was definitely not my first time reading them. I have been pushing for our podcast to cover... The Babysitters Club since we started it. Also, by the way, I'm back. I'm so excited to be back. Yay! Yay! <laughs> um,
0: <laughs>
2: my, my brief and faded return. So, yeah, so this was not my first time reading them. I was an avid Babysitters Club collector growing up. I loved them. My dad and I would go to thrift stores around Philadelphia and You know, see how many 10 cent, I think there were a dime at the time. I don't know, inflation um, (laughs) copies I could get. And um, they're still being hoarded in my parents' basement, although I am buying a house right now. And my dream is to create a Babysitter's Club wall with all my books. So that's exciting. Um, So, yeah, not my first time. Why are you so cool? (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Um, So, yeah, not my first time, but it was really good to reread. And for me, I really felt like they held up compared to some other trade paperback or like kid chapter books, I felt like they had a lot more depth and nuance to them than some of the other ones we've reread. So I I really enjoyed my reread and I'm excited to talk about it.
1: Also not my first time reading these. Like Kelsey, I read these all when I was small. My friends read them too. My friend Tessa and I made a lot of really terrible looking jewelry as like an homage to Claudia, or I guess we were more like inspired by Claudia and her constantly painting on her clothes and (laughs) various things. So we made a lot of jewelry out of poster board and acrylic paints that we stuck to earring backs that, you know, was very geometric. So yeah, it, it inspired that. And then we sold them. So we we did have some like <laughs> entrepreneurship uh, was also rubbing off on us from the books as well. So yeah, it, it was interesting to revisit. I do think that the characters, mostly, at least the main girls, I think were pretty well drawn. You can see why everybody identified with a specific babysitter in the club. Yeah. And, and really the things that didn't hold up as well were more just product of the time, like inflation.
3: There's only one cause for inflation.
1: Yeah. Other than that, though, there's not a lot in them to like specifically date them in any way. It's, you know, very generic sort of experience of being that age, I think. I feel
3: like the story really resonated. And when I was reading the first chapter, I was like, hold on, seventh grade, that was around the time that I really got serious and into like entrepreneurship and things of that nature. So I really like related to the book. Oh, this reminds me of when I was younger, had a little bit of responsibilities, didn't have much to think about. So I would definitely say I remembered
2: it. We'll talk more in depth about the books, but first let's get a little bit of a history of the author. So Anne Matthews Martin, I always wondered what that middle M stood for, (laughs) was born in 1955 in Princeton, New Jersey. Her mother, Edith, taught preschool while her father worked as an illustrator and cartoonist for several prominent magazines. Martin credits her babysitting exploits with her childhood best friend, Beth, for the ideas and characters in The Babysitter's Club. In her letters to young readers on Scholastic's website, she states Beth was the model for Christy while she was the model for Mary Ann, as she was a shy, quiet, and conscientious girl. She was encouraged to write by an elementary school teacher, but initially decided to pursue work as a teacher due to her love of children. She attended Smith College studying education and child psychology, graduating in 1977. Martin credits her time in the all-women's environment of Smith for her formative years as a feminist. Her first job post-grad was at an elementary school in Connecticut, teaching a mixed fourth and fifth grade special education class. She only spent one year in the classroom before shifting to the children's publishing world finding work as an editor. While working for Scholastic, another editor, Jean Fiewel, floated the idea for a series of children's books about babysitting. Martin took the idea and ran with it, and the Babysitter's Club series was born. Martin penned the first 35 books of the series before Scholastic turned it over to ghostwriters. She's primarily focused on one-off novels since then, winning a Newbery Honor for her book A Corner of the Universe in 2002. Martin has stayed busy outside of writing as well, founding the Lisa Libraries in 1990, an organization that provides children's books and support to libraries in underserved communities. She also created an eponymous foundation that same year, which focuses on literacy and arts programs and the care of stray and abused animals. In 2000, the Babysitter's Club series ended with some 300 titles and almost 200 million copies in print. That same year, she teamed up with Canadian author Lara Godwin and illustrator Brian Selznick to write the four-book Doll People series. Godwin was also Martin's longtime partner at the time they wrote the Doll People series, although they have since split. Martin, a self-avowed shy person, maintains a quiet private life with her many pets. She has had multiple dogs and fostered hundreds of kittens. She currently resides in Shokan, a small town near Woodstock, New York and recently wore a different hat as a producer for Netflix on their Babysitter's Club series.
1: You didn't make fun of me for basing it all on the Babysitter's Club. We lead off with Christy's Great Idea, book one of the absolutely massive series of Babysitter's Club books. Christy Thomas is a tomboyish and impulsive 12-year-old girl who is small for her age. She lives in Stony Brook, Connecticut, with her two older brothers, Charlie and Sam, her six-year-old brother, David Michael, and her mom. Christy's father divorced her mom, left the state, and remarried all while offering minimal child support and sporadic contact at best with his kids. <laughs> Listener, we will learn literally nothing redeeming about Christy's dad in this book. He's awful. The worst. It's the worst in the world. Anyways, Christy and her best friend, the shy and rather anxious Marianne, and their across-the-street neighbor, quirky and artsy Claudia, frequently babysit for neighbors. Christy is a budding entrepreneur and forms the Babysitter's Club.
3: Hi, we're the Babysitters Club,
1: with Marianne, Claudia, and the new girl from New York, Stacy. It's a quasi conglomerate, coom child labor union. We observe the girls' adventures in babysitting via their first-person accounts in notebook entries and lengthier explanations from Christy's point of view. Everyone has different handwriting, and Stacy makes hearts over her eyes. Christy's first clients turn out to be literal dogs. <laughs> Claudia is inserted into a family feud, and Stacy falls for Christie's brother Sam. Marianne does some undercover espionage at Christie's mother's millionaire boyfriend Watson's home by sitting for his two kids. She learns absolutely nothing nefarious, nor anything to justify Christie's pretty abominable treatment of the poor guy. To Christie's horror, Watson proposes, and she has to babysit his kids during an emergency, and discovers she really likes them. The four girls have a big blow-up sort of vaguely related to secrets Stacy has been keeping. Shocker, she's diabetic. Diabetes. And we find out that Stacy's mom made them relocate to Stony Brook because she didn't want people to know about Stacy's diabetes. Diabetes. But in another shocker, none of the girls shunned Stacy for being diabetic, which apparently happened at her old school. Christy's mom agrees to marry Watson, and Christy gets on board with the marriage because she's genuinely fond of Watson's kids now. And I even did your suggested reading of Christie's Big Day. The second book we are covering today is Christie's Big Day. Christie's Big Day picks up after new to Connecticut, California girl Dawn has joined the Babysitters Club. Christie's mom and Watson are preparing for their upcoming nuptials when life and an acrimonious divorce throw them a curveball. The Thomas's home has sold lickety split instead of taking months to sell as anticipated, and Miss Thomas's work is sending her to Europe during the penciled in date for the fall wedding. Two adult divorcees with six kids between them couldn't possibly cohabitate before marriage, so looks like the wedding's in two weeks, kids. Christie's initially pretty upset, but mom asked her to be the bridesmaid, so she's on board with the quickie mansion backyard wedding. Of course, throwing a wedding together in two weeks is stressful, even for millionaires. Who will make the canapes and hors d'oeuvres? What will they do with the 14 children of relatives that need watching the week before the wedding so said relatives can make hors d'oeuvre? Have no fear, the babysitter's club is here. Christy enlists all five club members to host what essentially is a week-long summer camp for 14 children under 10. Chaos ensues and is more or less managed, though we learn that cousin Emma is kind of a problem and Watson's daughter Karen is the fox molder of Stony Brook. Christy frets about what present to give her mom and stepdad and the club members make bank for their week of work. The wedding comes together mostly hitch-free, save for an interruption by a witch and Karen biting her father. Christy decides to gift her mom and Watson a handmade family treat Showing the now combined families. You write great plot summaries. Thanks.
2: All right. So let's dive in on a little discussion. Um, We'll just, I think we will end up kind of talking about both of the books together because we're all bad at remembering how details break down. Um, So we always like to start off with the question how did it hold up? These books were written first in the 80s. So a lot has changed. Do we feel like they still read relevant? for a modern audience.
0: I think they do. If I didn't know that this was a book that was written in the 80s, I wouldn't have thought, oh, this feels like super dated. I feel like books that are written before, like the technology that we have now have more of that advantage because there's no reference. There's not as many references to things that feel super outdated.
1: Yeah, the only like dated things would be that they choose Claudia's room to hold the meetings because she's the only one with a phone. (laughs) <laughs> and oh, it's yeah. a landline. But yeah, most of this stuff holds up pretty well. There, there are some issues where I wasn't sure if the version I was reading had maybe done an adjustment to make it not seem like a real problem for child labor. But when they host the camp, they end up making $225 for the week each. That's like way, way more than what minimum wage would have been in the 80s. They really did make bank. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm not sure if that was actually how much they made in the original book or if that was adjusted so it didn't seem like super off putting to readers for this edition. Because yeah, I put it into the like inflation calculator. If you went by what they made according to the book, that would be like over $500 for the week now, which is pretty good money. So then I started thinking maybe they adjusted it so that it didn't sound like all of these rich people were scamming these little girls. I don't know. I mean,
2: maybe, but I think even when I was 12, I would have been like, $200, oh my God. Like, I, like that would have felt like a lot of money to me. Well, but <laughs>
1: it was. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Is like, I think that's more than they possibly could have made in the 80s when minimum wage was $3 and something an hour. Which oh. is wild
0: because they were saying, like, you know, after when they were trying to have the pizza party, one of the things they were saying was like, yeah, I got $3 for my, my four hours of babysitting. Right.
1: So like, yeah, the the adjustment seemed like maybe that was a new addition like oh we'll make this sound less horrible that like maybe the original had it as less yeah. they got paid really well but then again watson's a millionaire so okay and what does watson do that's what i was wondering great so, question so. <laughs> who knows
2: i really want to know what his job is um but yeah i i think the landline to me is the biggest thing that stands out because like the The whole premise of the club that they have to meet at a certain time so people know how to call them, like they would just have an email form now or something, or like an online calendar where you could book a babysitter, so obviously that's a little dated, but that's also the central theme of the club. Yeah. <laughs> so you have to keep that, <laughs> and I feel like they should have been giving Claudia's parents money to subsidize the landline since they were using it for
1: business purposes. Business. <laughs> Maybe Claudia's parents were, like, writing it off on their taxes, though. Yeah. (laughs) It's like a business expense. (laughs) But in terms of, like,
2: uh, the things we talk about with some of our other books about different issues that we might talk about differently today, that's something I really appreciate and respect about this book is I feel like they were very unafraid to talk about difficult things and really honestly and really openly having divorced parents, having, you know, difficult. Family dynamics when they think Chris uh, Stacy is dieting because she's anorexic,
1: not because she's that not hold up too well to me either. Because like I really am skeptical that a child was bullied out of a city for being diabetic. Diabetes, which is how the book presents it. Yeah. Like, was there a huge stigma about diabetes, juvenile diabetes, at some point? Because I don't remember that when I was a kid. But, how
2: would they? How well, would
1: they know? She says that she, she fainted. fainted. Okay. And but then to me- she told them she was diabetic. Diabetes. And, and then she got bullied so much that they moved. And the like way she presented it was they were going to keep it a. Se- she and her mom are keeping it a secret here, so that doesn't happen again. I don't know if she was trying to like sync this to like what was going on with like the Ryan White AIDS. Oh. Moment of the time, but she was, like, afraid to touch that, so she made it diabetes.
0: Diabetes. Diabetes. But then I
1: feel like that doesn't really make sense, because who well, bullies someone about being diabetic? Diabetes. But even, like,
2: the, the Babysitter's Club kids say that. They're like, that's not a problem. Like, why are you... Right. So, <laughs> so I, to me, I, it, I read it as, like, the way that kids will bully peers about anything that's different, right? Like they just decided she fainted and that was a big deal. And everyone's gossiped and spread the story. And so then it just became her thing and it would have been whatever it was. But they
1: left the city but, over but, it. But, but yeah, Which that was a dramatic so response. Like send her to
2: private school. Like you don't have to move, move city. <laughs> right now we
3: have more, you know, information on health. People are more aware. There are more kids who have diabetes. Diabetes.
2: So it's like it kind of tells the times as well. Yeah, but I do think kids still bully each other. Like I think if 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 that happened today, like I think kids might pick on
1: Stacy for but that. But more than for her being anorexic, like I that just seemed like a really weird trade-off is that she and her mom were going to hide this thing and conceal it to the point that people thought she was anorexic. It was poorly thought out. <laughs> that that doesn't seem like a better thing than Diabetes. diabetes in terms of people like giving you a hard time about it but yeah. I wonder yeah. if it was like a personal situation or
3: somebody experienced and they kind of like wrote it in because that is kind of random in a sense
1: <laughs> yeah
0: maybe that's what I was thinking I yeah. don't know but then also like I'm over here like trying to google and trying to see what other people may think and see if anything comes up and the only thing that really kind of comes up But this is more so in the Netflix series. It shows that, you know, she has a a continuous glucose monitor that she kind of blings out, I guess, in the series. Because that didn't
1: exist then. Oh, well, damn. (laughs) (laughs) I
2: knew you were going to say that, too.
1: Yeah, I mean, she would have had to be leaving to check her blood sugar. She would have been going to the nurse probably quite frequently. Which would make her stand out from the other kids. Right. But then, like they're not gonna tell them why she's doing that and they're just gonna let them think she's leaving to go like vomit in the bathroom or yeah, something. I don't know. It's a very odd, I don't know, I didn't think that was good parenting not great by parenting. her mother. Yeah. Which is a theme in these books, I think.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right.
0: True. She starts off the first book like, yeah, my
1: day don't pay child support. <laughs> So we've been told Christie's dad, how come you don't want me, man, just noped out of there across the country, hasn't really been sending money. Who needs it? And she's you? like, well, I have to give him half the money from I, the house. And it's mad. like, ma'am, please, if you has not been paying <laughs> child support, you're not giving him any money from the house. You won't even know. The court is not going to do that. In today's session of divorce court. <laughs> would they have done that in the 80s? I mean, maybe. I don't know. Divorce was different back then, I think. I think it probably was, too. But, like, that was shocking to me. It's like, nah, he's on the hook for all this, like, unpaid child support. You aren't giving him a dime. I'm going to get through college without him. I'm going to get a great job without him. Use that house money for whatever you want. Also, she's
0: marrying a millionaire. Right. And then, you know, I thought it was interesting seeing Christy talk about how, like, What was she saying? She was saying something along the lines of, like, she didn't know what would be acceptable to ask Watson Watson. for. Like, is it okay to ask him for a few bucks or, like, a big screen TV? She's like, those are two different things, you know? I can't expect him to pay my college tuition. I'm just like... But, you know, it felt like a really, like, real conversation. It did. With her
2: brothers. Yeah. yeah. I found that really relatable for Christy to to be so young and so aware of her family's finances and how decisions that she makes affects the finances, how her mom struggles to make ends meet and then not knowing how this new situation will impact. That felt very real to me as a kid who was also very stressed about that growing up and very aware of that. It sounds like we feel like that, that generally it, it held up pretty yes. well, which is good. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think the range of parenting was really interesting, like seeing all the different ways that the parents did or did not provide support and guidance. You have everything from the absent father to, you know, especially fatherhood, I feel like is represented in so many different ways. You have mm-hmm. all their different dads play a role in some capacity and and how they react to that and what they'd like and don't like about that support was really interesting.
0: Which I think is pretty cool because I feel like a lot of the times in books you or just in media in general, you know a lot about the moms, but you don't hear as much about like the dads. So it was kind of cool to hear about Watson as a dad and to hear like the roles that the dads play in parenting as well as the moms. I don't know if that was intentional on her part, but I think she did a good job with that.
1: Yeah. And the non-roles because oh, like yeah. Stacy's dad is absentee, right? Like we never hear anything about her dad. And I think Don's dad is dead. Is that right? I think that. Da- no, someone's Marianne's dead. mom is dead. Don's mom is divorced but she's a lot of divorce they get together yeah. dawn's mom and marianne's dad yes. end up like reuniting they were like high school sweethearts or something oh
2: see that i didn't know that's cute
1: yeah oh, sorry spoilers <laughs> spoilers for you the 30 year old the, in the,
2: in the yeah. beginning <laughs> i don't know they're very involved in their parents lives in a way that is kind of interesting.
1: But I think that, like, you would be, too. Yeah. Like, especially, and I think it's kind of brave of these books in the 80s. We have two books that, like, spend a lot of time on Christie's mom's dating life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which, that's
0: cool. How like, did she find a millionaire, first of all? Drop I, the how, I don't know.
1: Where did she <laughs> turn up this man? She is a single mother of four kids working her butt off. <laughs> and somehow she finds some millionaire man. Speaking of working her butt off. I don't know
0: if this is jumping ahead too much. And but I even did your suggested reading of Christie's Big Day. It's crazy that the whole plot of the Christie's Big Day is basically based off of the fact they had to rush this wedding because her job was like, yeah, you got to take a two week trip. I would have been like, um, excuse me, I'm getting married. <laughs> well, and especially and- she's about to marry a millionaire, right? So like, if you got to be like, you know, forget that
1: job. But, like, really the reason they're rushing it is because they don't don't want to live together together before they're married, which, again, is just a really weird take to me because, like, you got six kids between you. Like, nobody thinks this is a white wedding.
0: wedding.
2: (laughs) It's a yellow wedding.
0: Right. (laughs) Right. (laughs)
2: Um, Yeah, no, that's actually, like, something else that's a little dated maybe. And I think today that might not have been as relatable of a plot point.
1: Yeah, and I was wondering, too, if that played in with the divorce thing and the house sale, is, that, like, she didn't want to move in with the dude because Christie's dad would, like, use that against her in court or something. Mm-hmm. I-, I don't know how much of that was coming from a place of fear. Like, that came through to me, at least, from reading it, was that, like, Christie's mom was weirdly fearful of the dad messing things up somehow. Mm-hmm.
0: I think it's interesting just because, like, you know, granted, I could feel you if you were just like, Yeah, I don't want to live together before we get married. But then like if something catastrophic happens that would totally throws a wrench in our wedding plans, I would just be like, We're moving in for these a couple weeks until yeah, we get married. Like they could live <laughs> in a different wing of the mansion.
1: They're talking about like, oh, will I have a bedroom on the second floor or the third floor? On the like, it's a massive house.
0: I thought they were gonna say all oh, those family members were gonna stay in the house for a second. <laughs> yeah, I
2: was a little stressed about that. Yeah. <laughs>
1: or like he could just pay to like let them sublet somewhere or something. Yeah, that seemed odd to me, but again, probably just a product of the time. Like I I don't think now people would be as freaked out about like 240 something people with a gaggle of children cohabitating, but I don't know a gaggle. (laughs) I didn't kind of think about, like, the
3: father in that instance. I was thinking about, like, what example the mother wanted to, you know, set for the children, especially since, like, the children are so involved in what their parents are doing, and they're watching, and they see everything. So I was kind of thinking, like, she was trying to set an example for the children in their lives.
1: But he had a mansion. They could have just stayed in (laughs) separate bedrooms or something, like...
2: (laughs) Maybe it's about like making them feel like a family when they move in together, set them on the right yeah. foot. I don't know.
0: Speaking of family, am I jumping around if I mention this family tree?
2: No, hit it. I don't know
0: if y'all book had I don't know if yours had it, Kelsey, but like the book has like a picture of the family
1: tree. Mine didn't because I got an ebook for the second one. Me too. And, and I didn't get a tree.
0: Her family tree didn't make no sense, but. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what does it say? Like, where is it? I also didn't quite understand why the two of them cutting the cake together made her think of a family tree. But, you know, that was nice.
0: Okay, so the family tree. I'm a describer for y'all that are listening. It has um, Karen, Andrew. Oh, okay. I lied. I was going to say the kids are missing. The other siblings are missing from the family tree, but they are on here. But it still kind of don't really make a lot of sense. But I guess, like, the Watson and Elizabeth are the parents, they're, like, in the middle. Elizabeth's kids are underneath her, and Karen's kids are over top of her. See, my issue was going to be that the, ki- the the the, the oh, steps were tree. on there,
1: but I didn't see that at first. She made it more like a family hourglass than a tree. It's a yeah. family spider web. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's confusing <laughs> when you look at
0: it. But the thought was there, right? So the vision was there. My issue was more so that she didn't put the other kids on there, but they are on there. So I mean it's not like you would expect the parents who aren't in the house to be on there. So they're not part of the family. My bad, Christy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you was doing something there. They'll appreciate it. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I like that um, Christy got them a family tree and David Michael got them a goldfish. Was it? And I wanted to know, was it goldfish crackers or was it a I don't literal know. goldfish? That wasn't I clear to, know, like, to me either. thought process behind that? Like, I was like, but you know, a lot
0: of the things we mentioned in this book, they don't really give like further insight. And, you know, I'm kind of OK with that. Not everything yeah. needed to be over explained. Like it was just a cute thought, you know, seven year old. And it's goldfish. I think the whole thought process of what do you give someone who has everything or can afford everything was kind of cute.
1: I will say David Michael is the same age as Karen, right? They're both (laughs) six-ish. Karen seems she more seems childish. a lot more advanced really, than Really, you him. think so? She's <laughs> yes. out there naming the next door neighbor, morbid <laughs> destiny, talking about the ghost of, of a man in their house, talking about spells that the witch next door is doing, talking about Martian landings.
2: Well, they said she's going to skip a grade, they think. Yeah, and then David
1: Michael's like, here's a goldfish.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I love Karen. She's
1: She's my favorite favorite. character in the book.
2: (laughs) I read all of her little sister book series as well. They were so. I need to read
1: those. That's why I was just telling Hawa earlier I've got to read those now because she was legit my favorite character. Yeah. Her and Mimi. I really like Mimi Mimi a lot. And spoilers again. Yeah. Oh Oh, my God. No, when (laughs) that like wrecked me when I was a kid. Can you just
2: say what it is? Because Mimi dies.
1: And oh, and she has really bad dementia before she dies. Yeah. Oh, it's a very upsetting everything. The whole arc, because she does get established as this like really wonderful, kind presence
0: mm-hmm.
1: in Claudia's life, but the other girls as well. And it's like, oh, yeah, that was a tough one when I was a kid, Aww. especially because yeah. I was definitely like Claudia was my favorite and.
2: It th- that that book also gave me a lot of food poisoning anxiety that I haven't overcome because Claudia spends a lot of time angsting over like whether or not um, Mimi took the food out of the fridge at the right time and defrosted it appropriately and whether or not they'll all get salmonella. Yeah.
0: Speaking <laughs> of anxiety, um, I was anxious in the beginning of the book when uh, in the beginning of Christie's big day when they were um, giving all the instructions for all the. 50 million thousand kids and she's like yeah these are the pills for this and these are the pills for that and this one has this allergy and i honestly thought that was like going to be some kind of like foreshadowing to like someone (laughs) eating something
1: they shouldn't have or like they put a whole lot on these girls 12 year olds i was thinking you know at that age i certainly babysat there were adults though that were more involved. Babysitting. So like these head. folks really did just What
2: were they doing before? The ditched <laughs> their kids for a
1: week to make some more d'oeuvres.
2: And, and they like, not only ditched them, but they made like more complicated tasks. Like take six of them to the barber when they're all really anxious right. about because it.
0: Because the barber's only open from nine to five.
1: <laughs> like y'all couldn't take off like an hour or
0: two early to take your kids to the barber shop.
1: And also I felt like it was really stressful for her Christy's grandmother, who's like the chauffeur for <laughs> 14. They kids all pink? And it's the pink what teens? was it called the, the pink quicker yes. <laughs> yeah. Like this poor woman, she probably just wanted to make some like centerpieces or something. And they're like, no, drive them here. No, cram all these people into your car and get them to the barbershop, well, the movies. The, not
2: only was she the chauffeur and the flower ranger, but she had to make She two made dresses. the dresses in like two weeks. Yeah, <laughs> no big deal. And apparently knit a sweater for a handmade item for each of the 14 children.
1: <laughs> no, that grandma was killing it. She, she was just getting everything done. I'm like, why is it taking like all of these 10 adults to do just Yeah, what were they doing?
3: Handcrafted appetizers are now endless.
1: What what were they
2: doing? That's what I want to them Doing appetizers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There were a lot of like plot points that were set up that were not actually realized. Like also at the very beginning of the book, um, Stacy was like, oh, what usually happens at the end of the year? And Marion's like, oh, it's the spring fling. And I was like, oh, my God, are we going to have a dance and then a wedding? And no, they just like moved you off. You get like
1: one paragraph about it. It's like I went with so-and-so. Claudia went with this guy. so uh, You know, I don't even remember and, it. And, the other two us,
0: and then the other two didn't go because their parents, uh, just the two whose parents were dating, they just ended up having like a family event or something. Yeah,
1: because Christy goes with a boy that she was like, I like him 50 percent. And the other 50 percent, he's annoying. <laughs> <laughs> and that was like all we got from the dance. It went by
2: so fast, I didn't even notice it. Yeah, it was like literally two was paragraphs like at the beginning of that chapter. Yeah. <laughs> So, okay. So let's talk a little bit. We, we've we gone kind of deep into the, <laughs> <laughs> oh, <sorry. laughs> which is fine. It's great. Um, there is a lot to talk about there, but I do want to kind of back up a little bit and talk about this as like a feminist work. So obviously like our f- main characters are all girls. Mm-hmm. And I think we've already talked that we feel like they're pretty well-developed and I'm curious kind of as we look at it through a
1: feminist lens, do we feel like this is a feminist book? Are they feminist characters? I mean, I would say, heck yeah. And I think, at least in the research I did on Ann Martin, she identifies as a feminist and really attributed that to her time at Smith, which is an all-women's school, and developed her ideas about education and about how you teach children from her time there. And I think she really made that come through in the books. Like I really liked how how Christie's mom is depicted. It's like, yeah, you got the short end of the stick with your deadbeat ex-husband, but she's making it work. She has got a good job. She is trusted by her company to be sent to Europe to do these like high profile things. She's doing a great job by her four kids. She doesn't need a man, but she found a good one. I like that. And I think especially for the 80s, That was a pretty progressive take on what a 40-year-old woman would look like. And, And I think that's cool. And then it's girls that form a conglomerate and like work very well in terms of setting up sort of ground rules for their business and like business practices. It's profitable for all of them, but it also like distributes the labor very equitably. Like I think it's a really good sort of example of like, the girls doing this thing, they're running it better than the adults would. Right. The wedding's kind of a mess, but like <laughs> they're getting it done. You know, I i think that's really I think that's progressive. I think that's inherently very feminist. And even like Claudia and and Stacy being a little bit more into boys than like Marianne and Christy are. It's just an acknowledgement of where they are with their, like, maturity level and hormones. It's mm-hmm. not ever, like, viewed as, like, one is better or one is less good. It's just this very frank sort of... These are all different ways of Yeah, being. they're a little bit more mature, and they're already, like, into thinking about boys a bit more, and Chrissy and Marianne just aren't there yet, and that's all fine. Everyone's still friends, and everybody is, you know, a valid individual, and it's not judged at all. Yeah,
0: like, it's a mention, like, boys are a mention in the book, like, a very, like, we we joked about how the dance was, like, a very small paragraph, but, like, it was just a small mention in the book, and it didn't really take away from any of, like, the other plot points in the story, nor did it, like, you know, feel like it was running their lives, which, I mean, I feel like it's also kind of very realistic, because, considering that they're, like, 12, mm-hmm. so, you know, some girls are boy-crazy, and some are just, like,
3: yeah. <laughs> Cause it's like no one is the same. Everybody mm-hmm. has their own individuality, especially like Claudia. It's like she stood out. She wasn't within like the norm of what you would see. And then also, even just like take their uh, business for example, they were very supportive of each other. They you know empowered each other. They kind of like talked about things, talked things out, and it was like more unified.
2: Yeah, I think um, there's the fight that they had have at the end of the first book where Christy has mm-hmm. called out Stacy. Uh, for not telling them the truth about her situation and they have this kind of like reckoning at their next club meeting Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I feel like that really stood out to me as a moment of feminism because in a lesser book or in another book they would all be like I I messed up and I'm a bad friend Mm -hmm. and I feel like it'd be a very like peaceful resolution but in this in that conversation like Christy still was like I probably shouldn't have approached it the way I did, but mm-hmm. I don't like being lied to. And yeah. that's something that's a core value for me. So like, I'm sorry that you were offended, but like, I still don't wish you hadn't done that. And Stacey took ownership for her behavior as well. And I feel like it was a lot more like nuanced of a conversation. And I mm-hmm. think that is very feminist to me to like say, we're all coming at this from, with our own values and ideas. And this is how we like find harmony in mm-hmm. our shared friendship.
1: Yeah, I think another thing in there, and it was kind of subtle, but. I I think I'm correctly interpreting it. Christy gets in trouble early in the book with her teacher because she's so excited to be done with class for the day, which is totally understandable. Like, has no decorum. She and he makes (laughs) He makes her go home and like write a punishment essay on decorum. And to me, that felt very targeted at her being a girl. He was upset that she jumped up and had energy and was.
0: I feel like decorum is something that's expected of a young lady. Exactly.
1: Like, she wasn't lady-like enough for his taste, so he, like, punished her for it. But the way that the book presents it, I'm pretty sure we were supposed to feel like that was a really bullshit thing to do by the teacher, right? Like, yeah. we're not supposed to think, like, oh, Christy should have had more decorum. We're supposed to think, like, yeah, adults get it wrong. And yeah. the adult men in these books get it wrong a lot. Like,
2: <laughs> well, because Christy tells her mom about it. Her mom's like, well, whatever.
1: Do your essay. Exactly. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, her essay was too short. And she's like, mom, do you think this is OK? Because I use like the end as part of my word count. With and her flu- mom's like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> mood. she thinks it's a ridiculous thing, too, that yeah. she's getting punished for being excited that the school day's over. Yeah. She didn't even do anything that rude. She just got up from her seat with I man he like, was was, was he not happy to be spirit? off yeah yeah like, Exactly. and the air conditioner was broken or something too yeah, so it's like hot. obviously it's not a pleasant place to be and she explained that to him and he still was just like no you're gonna write this essay and learn your place she didn't learn her place at all she went and started a business shows <laughs> <laughs> Show that for decorum yeah
0: <laughs> And then on top of that, she was, she was super rude to Mr. Watson, like a couple
2: of hours oh, later. Yeah. She was pretty awful to him. That was pretty bad, yeah.
1: And that, there was really no reason for that because yeah. he is presented as very nice and yeah. thoughtful and approaches the kids well, I yeah. think. And
2: But something I like about that, though, is that when she, like, she knows that her behavior can get into, her into trouble. And she has a very clear understanding of when it is isn't is not a- appropriate. So, like... The jumping up at the end of the day because you're excited to go home, that was not an appropriate time to scold her. But, like, telling Watson he's a bad dad and, like, mm-hmm. storming off, like, that was not appropriate. And she knew that. And she apologized. She wrote her mom a very
1: nice apology letter. She and I did. And great. I thought mom accepted that really well. Yeah. Like, there was no lingering where she was still upset with her after the fact. It was just a, okay, we're done. It's fine. I love you, too. Yeah. Which I thought was also a really nicely drawn bit of parenting.
0: Yeah. And, you know, Watson didn't seem like he took any like super offense to it, which I mean, he's the adult in the situation. So I'm glad that it was like kind of presented that way. Like, you know, it's almost kind of like, OK, it's OK to have your emotions and your feelings and you know just take some time to think about it. And then, you know, let's move on.
2: I do want to jump back to talk about their business practices, because I think for 12 year olds they do a really good job, but they mm-hmm. never address the fact that that Claudia's been taking jobs on the side when the phone rings outside of club hours and that bothered me. When the, when the money started rolling in, I got out of control. I guess you could just say that I I kind of became a a money holic. And also all the girls are starting some side hustles where they develop relationships with people and I feel like they need to get some solidarity going <laughs> and address that.
1: <laughs> and also
2: like they never talked about like, are they all charging the same rate?
1: Yeah, I think probably not because it would be different for different numbers of kids, but right? They could have the same, like, math, the same pricing structure, like a per head kind of thing.
2: Yeah. The only other thing I think I had that we wanted to talk about, and this kind of goes back to the feminism conversation, is like Christy as a tomboy mm-hmm. and the tomboy archetype.
0: I actually didn't necessarily pick up on that. The only thing that I picked up on that kind of hinted it towards that she was a tomboy maybe because I read it kind of fast, was that, you know, the whole thing was like, yeah, the bridesmaid's dress is different than her style, but she was super excited about it. and I was like, honestly, same.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think it comes out a lot more in her, like, overall character arc, the way that they develop the character in later books. And in some of the books that are not focused on Christy, it comes out a little bit more.
2: I do think that the cool thing about her is that she's tomboyish without being, like, a full-fledged trope. Like, she... She generally wears more, like, athletic clothes, but she still can get excited about, like, dressing up or getting mm-hmm. some of those, like, adult girl privileges of the heels or whatever. The
0: heels! That was so cute! <laughs> yeah, she <wrote>
1: had <laughs> very
2: low-tasteful heel. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think that that's cool, too. Again, like, adds to the kind of layering of her. She's not just like, oh, ew, I only wear boy clothes. I'm a tomboy. I do sports. It's just more like I lean more masculine, but mm-hmm. that doesn't mean I don't have many sides to myself.
1: Yeah, I think actually all of the girls have pretty nuanced depictions of what their interests are or what they gravitate towards or like their personality traits Mm -hmm. because... They feel fully formed.
2: Well, I think the journal entries of their babysitting stories mm-hmm. helped yes, with that. Yes, that was you, so cute. You get their first person. And I think that's what makes these books so strong, too, is that it is a first person story. And it changes the perspective mm-hmm. based on who the book is like the main character. Because when it's third person, even the best written story, you feel a remove. And I think you get to really relate to each of the different personalities by being
1: in their head. One of the articles that I read when I was doing some research on the author was actually a male reader of the series when he was young, saying that these books and the series really taught him most of what he understood about fiction, point of view. How do you draw a character? What a like long character arc looked like. Mm. And it's very easy in serialized books to not do any of that. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like It's very easy to go cookie cutter and where it's like, okay, here's the character. You always get the same front matter to establish the character so somebody can pick it up at any point. Here's the plot element. Here's the resolution. And that's like all you get. Yeah. But this is doing something more sophisticated than that.
2: Well, I was going to say the front matter part of it was so artfully done. Like you're still catching up on what's happened before, like well into the book. Because mm-hmm. you she gives you the information when you need it and doesn't try to just yeah slam it all into the first couple. Of no, pages. there's no info dump at yeah. the beginning. Yeah. And
1: I would
3: add that it was interesting to me that they made this book into a Netflix series just because the way that Netflix does like their characters where you have like different characters that a lot of people can, you know, fall in love with and follow and relate to. It's almost like the book is a little bit before its time, in a sense, because a lot of the shows that's on Netflix and series, they kind of have that same structure of, oh, this is a character that I identify with. And it was like very seamless bringing that series to
2: Netflix. Yeah, very well done by that team. And Anne.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> and you Anne. certainly, you see some of those devices. I mean, if you consider this as a series rather than as a lot of separate books, you see some of those devices in much more sophisticated storytelling, like Jessica's saying. Game of Thrones is basically doing this by chapter, right? You're changing, you're inverting the point of view. So mm-hmm. rather than standalone books, you're changing who the narrator is for that chunk of things. And so what are you learning by seeing the same events through everyone's lenses over time. Yeah, that's pretty complex for a book that's like mostly read by like eight year olds. I think. Yeah.
2: Also, just to add that, like, her she's very funny writing. Like, like I was genuinely amused when they're doing the fake wedding before the real wedding, and the the kid that they've they've gotten to be the rabbi or the the MC for the wedding, um, and he says, "We are gathered here today to join these two guys in." Holy moly. (laughs) (laughs) And then he says, Karen, do you promise to love your husband and help him out and not hog the television? And David Michael, do you promise to love your wife and help her out and show her how to ride a two-wheeler? And they do.
1: (laughs) Yeah, there are a lot of funny little lines in it. And then when they run off because they have to kiss. Yeah, they freak out and leave. The whole argument about the Martian landing I thought was really well- Written where you have the older character is freaking out because the little ones are scaring other children to death with their whole like conspiracy theory about like oh well when the aliens come we're gonna be screwed like you better have a gun you better you know they're gonna come and pew pew you and you got all somewhere to hide because that motel's not gonna cut it <laughs> yeah. Fran, Fran
0: on the playground was very upset. Also what is this they just randomly have someone working at the playground in case kids
2: come by and like
1: Yeah she was like the the playground monitor <laughs> it was
0: very odd and <laughs> when
2: school was out also. like how can you be someone whose main job is to supervise and create activities for children who can't handle children who are, like, causing trouble? Like, the first sign of trouble, you're like, yeah. actually, Karen can never come back to that <laughs> <Yeah>. movie again. <laughs> like, what? Same thing with, I was really mad about the movies, too, when yes, they get kicked out of the movie. I'm all like, all of them out. This is a children's movie, and you're mad that children are being children at it's, the movie.
1: <laughs> it's Mary Poppins, and they throw them out of the theater for laughing. And it's almost over. Like, just let them yes, finish it's- the movie. Ridiculous. <laughs> There was some nice detail in they that. Didn't get though. any the, like, warning. Sticky the Junior sticky. Mints hand was like, "Oh, I feel that. Like there's I've been ba- there."
0: As someone who's worked at a movie theater before, the Junior Mints mention was very like key. Like
1: you smelled
2: that. You yeah, smelled I smelled that. that. Yeah. You know, I saw the white box with the green with the green words yeah. Junior Mints. Yeah, I feel like there was a lot of good candy references throughout. Like all the candy mm-hmm. is name brand Snickers. That is I, that is like such a visceral detail. From these books is Claudia's little like hiding places of her her candy junk food and stash that yeah. like came back to me instantly while while I was reading it.
0: And they're sure to mention that um, Stacy can't have any.
2: <laughs> yeah,
1: diabetes.
2: And then who 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 was it? Dawn Dawn's that likes vegan. healthy food. Yeah, which was nice. It was good for Stacy to have an ally. It wasn't just her turning down the candy by herself. Yeah, yeah. Any st- anything else? Any stray thoughts? We talk about the covers. Oh no, let's talk about the covers. So, um, <laughs> just for some context, these books have even though they stopped writing them in, t- in 2000, continued on and actually have had a revival in recent years. They re-released a lot of them with new covers, but also have been turning them into graphic novels, which are currently coming out. Um, most of them are drawn by Raina Telgemeier, who like could just draw her backyard and kids would buy it and like rip it to shreds and love it so much. <laughs> <laughs> so it's having a really interesting revival right now. And so we noticed... An interesting evolution as we're
1: looking over past covers. There's been a lot of changes. So the earliest covers, so the ones originally done in the 80s, have a very, I I keep calling it a Judy Bloom look. It's these sort of realistic looking tableaus of the girls in various scenes. They then updated those and the like 90s releases often use the same images, but they like I don't know, zhuzhed up the borders and stuff and made it look very like... A lot of denim saved by the belly or something. (laughs) I love that. And the current covers that have come out in the post-Netflix series uh, re-release, I feel like they're really trying to mimic the graphic novel covers, even though this is not the same author, not the same illustrator that did this cover art. These are not Telgemeier drawings, but they definitely seem to be trying to evoke similar vibes one of the things that we had kind of discussed was whether the cover art is trending younger with these newer versions and that they're like kind of targeting a different age range. Certainly I read these when I was more in the like eight year old age. I mean, I think my friend and I were in like fourth grade when we started our jewelry business. Um, that was based <laughs> on.
0: These. So. Cause these girls are like 12, right? Yeah.
1: But like, I don't at least, In my childhood, the people that were reading Babysitter's Club were not middle schoolers. Mm -hmm. Like it was definitely more a middle grades book, not a middle school book. And I feel like the current covers definitely seem to be targeting that. Like it's a cartoon, right? The old covers seem to be trying to evoke Judy Bloom, which maybe is targeting a slightly higher age. So I'm kind of curious about if the cover design, like what the marketing strategy was with that.
0: One thing that you had mentioned when we talked about it, before we got on the mics, was um, that 12-year-olds nowadays are reading more like YA-type Y-A. stuff, which I don't think YA was really as fleshed out back then as it is now. So it makes sense that may, they they may have been gearing these towards them back then, but now they realize that maybe the eight-year-old range was reading them. So let's just go all out and get these cute cartoon covers that'll really draw them in. Because I don't know if those old older covers would ne- have necessarily drawn in the age range that really does end up reading them
2: well it's 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 something we've talked about before where usually for a children's book the age of the character is the age that of the target audience mm-hmm. and so it may be that when they initially published them they were thinking 12 and then as we've talked about the they just kind of skew younger by design yeah i happen to have my copy which has these cute little like activity books in the in the back, and so I had filled it out when I read it. Which I read them in no particular order because I just read them as I was able to buy them at thrift stores. So this was not necessarily the first I read, but according to this, I was seven years old. It was June two thousand one. My sweet, sweet pre nine eleven self. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, I think I think it's pretty true that historically, I mean, Heather, you and I were that age at different times and we both kind of read them then so i think i think these do tend to skew younger than than yeah. intended
1: and like scholastic lists it with eight to 12 as the range but i i wouldn't now recommend this to a 12 year old not that there's anything wrong with the book i just feel like they might for be 12 year olds this is going to feel a little juvenile to them yeah
0: I think what I liked about this, these books, um, I like Kelsey, that you mentioned that you didn't necessarily read them in order. Is that like, even if you just picked up one and you weren't necessarily started from the beginning, they do kind of give a, okay, well, this is who this is and this is who this is. And so like they give like a quick recap without feeling like, okay, I already know all this. So I thought that was cute.
1: Yeah. Since you didn't read them before, how, uh, I mean, the Jessica and Kelsey and I did read them more serially, I think. Mm-hmm. How was it for you skipping? Because we did skip, what, four four in-between books.
0: See, for me, um, it kind of felt like... Like, I know you were saying that you felt like the characters, you know, even though these were their central... The ones who weren't... It wasn't their central book. You felt like you got to know a bit more, more about them. I didn't necessarily feel that way. And maybe it's because I didn't have, like, any other context of, like, what I remembered them as. But I think maybe more so in the... F- the Christie's great idea we got to see more about their characters as opposed to Christie's big day because it really did just feel like like Christie's great idea felt like okay this is the introduction to the whole series like this is where the idea comes from and these are the girls that are making up the club Christie's big day really just did feel like it was about Christy, her mom's wedding, and all these gaggle of kids, I used your word, all these gaggle of kids that pull up to her mom's house for the week. And you do get to see a little bit of them here and there when they go break off into their like respective groups and stuff like that. But I mean, also, these books aren't that long, so it's not like I was really expecting a lot. And I see why every girl kind of gets their own book to kind of like flesh that out more.
2: Well, you know what I think is interesting, How was I know that you you listen to the cassette tape version of Christy's. Big idea.
0: Uh, I listened to the cassette tape for Christie's. Yeah,
2: great idea. Yes, yeah, sorry. Great idea. Yeah, no. great idea. Big day. I don't know if you yeah. were going to say big day. I blended <laughs> um, because the that one is all they they converted the story to be all dialogue. They got rid of like the, the, and and the dialogue I think is really true to form and they have voice actors, which I think add some layers that you don't get in the book, but then obviously you lose some of the context and it kind of goes through the story more quickly. But what's interesting about that too, is that the graphic novel version is all dialogue as well. Mm-hmm. And, and I think from when I was just looking at it, it, it seems pretty similar to the audiobook version. And so now it makes me wonder what kids who read just the graphic novels might like lose or interpret differently yeah. if they're not getting the kind of full inner monologue of Christie's head when she's doing those things. But well, and- you know,
0: it's funny because the great idea was the one where I I, I like the aud- the audio book because I guess the audiobook that I listened to um, that you sent was like um, it was like a link to the cassette, uh-huh. so like from nineteen seventy eight or whatever. Very so authentic. I thought that was really cool because like everybody had like a different voice actor, and even though you kind of missed on, on some of her little internal things, like. I don't know, just the way some things were said, it just kind of felt like yeah. like you were watching it almost. I don't know.
1: <laughs> well, I do wonder then too about the book design cuz one thing that I felt like I lost between I read a hard copy of book 1 and then I read an ebook of Christie's Big Day. And in book 1, I thought it was really great and very like informative about the characters that their entries are in their own handwriting yeah. yeah i had no idea and their script is all different i don't know to me it tells you a lot about stacy that she puts hearts over all of her eyes right that's and, super like, cute it tells you a lot that like marianne has the most like grown-up looking handwriting and that Christie's is very like rigid like her you know it's straight up and down and it's that wasn't present in the ebook and i felt like i lost a lot from that mm-hmm. so then you know, also, with the covers, it's like I, I am curious about just sort of these general book design choices that they're making and what they're trying to convey with those things, and like you would lose the handwriting in a an audio for sure, mm-hmm. also
0: my issue with Christy's big day cover, if that's supposed to be Karen on the front, isn't her address supposed to be yellow also
2: yeah, both they were their both dress yellow. supposed to be yellow yeah, they were supposed to match, yes, but they she does not want pink. salmon. She didn't want to. Exactly. No, very interesting. Salmon, what's, that? what's salmon? A fish?
0: Ew. <laughs> <laughs> My other one thing that um, I noticed that they, they don't have in the, these books that, Kelsey, I noticed your version, I think from the 90s had, was like the stuff in the back that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I guess that's not as maybe as much of a thing in books now, but I thought it was kind of cute that they had the thing yeah. where you could fill it out and be like, like, when did I read this book and where did I read it? and. Stuff like no, that. that was
1: great. And like Kelsey is another person that was always getting used books from used bookstores and thrift stores and stuff as a kid. It was always such a like goldmine find if you got one where someone hadn't filled out the stuff in the back already. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Like, oh, I got a good one. Felt yeah. more like your book.
2: Yeah, you there's a lot defiled. of good back matter in here. <laughs> Actually, something that's interesting, too, is it has... Uh, list of just Christie's books and what number it is, too. So if you oh, just love Christie, it says read all the books about Christie in the Babysitters Club series. Um, it also mentions the mysteries, which I just want to throw out. There's one I forget which mystery it is, I want to say it's Marianne has a mystery that scared the crap out of me. I have mm-hmm. never been so afraid as I was reading this <laughs> book,
1: they were very well done. Was it Marianne in the library mystery? <laughs> Think so. Halloween
2: episode. Body <laughs> yeah. and the Phantom Phone Calls was also kind of scary, although that was not, that was in that the was regular just series. The first a mystery. <laughs> yeah. Do you yeah. remember what exactly it was that freaked you out? Oh, I don't remember. I just remember. <laughs> I mean, I've always been a wimp, so there's that. Marianne no. and the Haunted
1: Bookstore. Marianne's spending a lot of time with like a lot of ghosts in book right. places.
2: I don't know. I'll have I to, go back to and find
1: it. Well, maybe we'll have to do a special episode where we read a mystery. Yeah. Scare ourselves. Oh, Abby and the Mystery Baby. That sounds really scandalous.
2: Right. I also, I'm also seeing their summer vacation one, which I always thought was like always my dream is to get hired as a nanny and go on someone's beach trip with them. I thought that sounded really cool. <laughs> um, just to mention, while we're talking about books, I, I told everyone before we started recording, but when I was, uh, we mentioned in the author bio that Anne M. Martin won a Newbery honor for her book, A Corner of the Universe which I read as a kid. And I won a copy of it in 2004 for getting 171.2 accelerated reader points, which I know because they wrote it inside the book. And I've had this on my signed bookshelf forever because it was signed by my librarian. Uh, and then today when I went to grab it, I found out it's also signed by Anna M. Martin and I had no idea. So I have for 19 years owned a signed copy of A Corner of the Universe. Highly recommend that book. Well, I have not read it since 2004, so maybe I don't recommend it. But it was
1: good at the time. It won a,
2: it won a Newbery Medal and like, or Newbery Honor, and I, I, it made me cry a lot. And I read it multiple times when I was a kid. So I feel like that's, that's a good sign. This book made me cry.
0: Yeah.
3: <laughs> Each episode, we are heading into the library and talking to you. Well, not you, but people like you, right here in the stacks. Today, we want to know... Have you ever tried to start a business when you were in grade school or middle school? I tried to make a lemonade stand that also sold, like, gelatis. So I didn't actually get it off the ground. None of my friends wanted to help me. I made business with Henry <laughs> <laughs> that fool yeah. over there. He sold hot cocoa. I mean, like, how much did we make? Like, $162?
1: 162
3: 150.
1: Oh, y'all made
3: bank. Yeah, but then we had to close it down because uh, some incident happened.
1: Wait, what was the incident? <laughs> uh, I don't think
3: once we tell him, we tell you. Because it was very bad. He got in trouble. Oh. And mom doesn't want
0: him to do it anymore. I have tried making a job. You, Me and my brother were selling hats. Like, we, we made like $120 a day. When we were showing it.
1: And then we just got bored of it because not that much people were coming. We're not lying. What kind of hats were they? Like knitted hats. Oh, that's cool. Did you make them or did you buy them and then flip them? No, our grandma made it. That's pretty cool. Yes. Family business. Yes. Um, I made
3: a uh, lemonade. I made around 50 bucks each day. I probably made 10. I only did five days because it was kind of boring. But yeah, I still did. Yeah, it was on me. Oh, hi. Uh, I worked on a hot cocoa business with Henry, too, and
0: I was, I didn't, like, sell hot cocoa. I, like, told them what to buy for,
1: like, yeah, I was a treasurer, and I told them, like, what to buy to, like, get sales and stuff. This is very organized. So, you guys had someone doing production, someone doing accounting. Were there other jobs? Oh, yeah. Tristan was the planner. He liked playing, like when and where we would go. So, the CEO, if you will? No, he, Henry was the CEO because it was all at his house. Henry was the CEO? Yeah, it was all at his house. All right. Yeah, I actually have with my brothers. We uh, we were making hats, making 150 bucks a day, I guess. Yeah, we live on a busy street, and there were just a lot of cars and a lot of people that walk by, and it was very cold. Yeah, our grandmother had knitted them.
3: I'm Henry. I was the CEO of my hot cocoa company. I I hired people to sell hot cocoa and organize events
1: and I made $150 in like two weeks. So I've heard there was an incident. Yeah, I got in trouble with my parents and they said I couldn't do it anymore. I don't really want to disclose what happened. <laughs> they they any- know what happened. Do you have any future plans to recover from the incident? Maybe if my parents let me do open up again. Mm-hmm. I'll have to Talk to them. I have to beg.
0: Hey, y'all. So for this part of the episode, we're going to do a little quiz. Shout out to Girls Life for this quiz. So the quiz that we're going to do today is which member of the Babysitter's Club are you? Hi, the Babysitter's Club. So for the first question it asks, it's your turn to choose the Friday night activity. You suggest hitting the bleachers to cheer on the home team, a low-key evening watching your favorite rom-coms, painting your own pottery together at the local studio, Shopping, duh. Nothing beats browsing the racks with your girls. Grabbing matcha lattes and checking out an up-and-coming indie
2: band. I don't think I would get matcha lattes.
1: (laughs) I don't either, but I would... But I would go see a band. uh, I knew you were going to say (laughs) that. That's what I would go with as well, but... I'm, I'm not trying to get a, a matcha drink. latte
2: at 8 p.m. Like that's setting me up for a bad night.
1: We have malox and estrogen. Well, <laughs> honestly, I guess when I was like, well, maybe not 12, but like when I was in a, a freshman, like I probably got like a latte when I went. Oh, <laughs> I would get like a Frappuccino. Yeah, because like I thought chip. it was like, I don't know, sophisticated or something. <laughs>
0: I think for me, I'd probably pick um, painting your own pottery together at the local studio just because, like, I it to me, it's the closest thing to, like, I guess, like, a paint and sip, which I'm Mm -hmm. always trying to get people to do. So I'm going to go with that.
2: Okay, Claudia.
0: Also, anybody ever (laughs) remember (laughs) the place called? There was a place in... Color Me Mine. (laughs) Color Me Mine, yes. Yes. That's what I was going
1: to say. Color Me Mine. I've been there twice. Oh, Oh, wait, question. Is Is this supposed to be us now or us at 12? That's a good question.
0: I guess we could say, I mean, if you want to know which... Remember the Babysitter's Club you are now, then I guess you would be answering now.
2: Okay. I'm doing now. I'll do now now too then. I feel like I kind of picked
3: now too. And I also selected the Painting Your Own Pottery together at the local studio.
0: Nice. Let's go sometime girl. (laughs) Second choice.
2: (laughs) Field trip. (laughs) Add it to the uh, podcast tour. Absolutely.
0: (laughs) Your friends always come to you for the honest truth. You tell it like it is. Advice, you're a maze listener. DIY inspo, you're a Pinterest pro. Style tips, you know every trend. Recipes, your smoothies are delish. I love reading these. <laughs> wow. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I would definitely say advice. Like usually my friends don't ask me for advice and then afterwards
2: they're like, I feel so much better, Jessica. I was going to say advice too, but I've gotten a lot of feedback recently that I'm I seem to be someone who's very honest and values honesty. So I think it might actually be the first one and I've been lying to myself.
1: Yeah, I, was, I feel ironic. like mine is a combination of those as well. Like I think people always come to me for advice because I tell the honest truth. Right. They go they definitely go hand in hand.
0: Huh. Yeah, I feel like I think I'm gonna go with the honest truth just because <laughs> I do feel like people come to me for advice sometimes, but I was gonna um, say I'm style
2: not, tips for you. Mm-hmm. Style tips for me. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <No. laughs>
0: Y'all are funny. No. Um I'd probably yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> the honest truth. Just because like I, also, guess, I don't think yeah. I'm a great listener. Like sometimes people like when people come to me for like advice, I have to be like, okay, so do you really want do you really want somebody to listen? Or like do you want me to tell you how I feel? And I had to learn to be that type of person. That's a before, good line, Yeah. I would be like, so you're not going like what I'm mad
1: to have to say. <laughs> yeah. Are you here for a solution? Or are you here for to vent? Yes. Yeah. I'll go with honest truth too. But thanks, Kelsey. <laughs>
0: When you and your squad are at a party, you decide what time you all get there and what time you all leave. You're in charge. Follow wherever they go. Being alone at a party equals your worst nightmare. Hope your crush notices you. You didn't spend so much time picking out your outfit for nothing. Get everyone on the dance floor, stat. Or introduce your girls to some of your other friends. You know pretty much everyone.
2: It really depends on the kind of party. If it's a wedding, I get everyone on the dance floor. But any other kind of party... I follow where everything goes. <laughs> <Just> the same.
1: <laughs> yeah. My friends and I don't really go to parties anymore. Yeah. We just are like, we'll do something together. Like, <laughs> yeah. we're not going to someone else's thing. That's why my first thought was weddings. wedding, like, we're going to dance. Or if it's, like,
0: someone's, like, show. milestone birthday or something. But even then, usually I know most of the people at those type of things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I pick
3: the decide what time you get there and what time you leave. Not necessarily because I'm always in charge, but the last party I went to, I was more of the organizer. So I was like the transportation. So I was like, "Hey, we're getting here at this time, and um, some people have to work, so let's see what time <laughs> are we going to, <laughs> go to be?" I'm knowing <laughs> what
0: time we're planning to leave before I get there, so I can I know how much time I have to vibe and enjoy and just be out.
2: Right. If we don't, ha- if we haven't planned an exit time, I at least need to know our exit strategy. Like, yeah. how do we decide? Like, do I say something <laughs> specific to you? Or are we going to go after they cut the cake? Like, are we Irish goodbying this?
1: <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Dance floor, I guess. Ooh, Heather got moves. Yeah. I mean, because again, with Kelsey, like if I'm actually going to a party now, it's probably a wedding. Yeah.
0: I feel that. For your BFF's birthday, you get her a picture frame with your favorite selfie, the perfect planner to get organized, homemade friendship (laughs)
1: bracelets,
0: (laughs) a pretty palette from Sephora, or a new yoga mat and tank. Tank? Tank top.
1: Oh, haha,
2: duh. Just a just a simple tank.
1: <laughs> it's a fish tank <laughs> that David Michael bought. I
2: was thinking like a tank, like a weapon. Like a
0: car. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, why
2: do those two go hand in hand? Just a little tank to roll over here.
0: <laughs> Mine is probably a picture frame with your se- favorite selfie because I feel like at some point, um, I've gotten like my friends some kind of variation of like either like oh we took this picture together and I got it like animated for us or we took a selfie and I made it into a photo
2: book or something so I mean I always get someone something they like not something right this made me sound so vain. <laughs> no. Here's a portrait of me. <laughs> <laughs> it just me want it. That wasn't in response to you, the I question. <laughs> oh, I'm gonna say the perfect planner though, cause like often I will get someone a book that I think they'd like, yeah. so that's
1: closest to that, I guess <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know what to say here. these options uh, also my best friend is a guy, so like I. <laughs> Honestly, the I'd probably get him the palette from Sephora just as a joke. He doesn't want any of this stuff. That's an expensive joke. I'm, I'm disappointed that mail. you're not saying the
0: bracelets. Got to
1: go with a cheap brand during the sales.
0: I'm disappointed that you're not going with the bracelets because you 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 know you had your whole business based. Well, this is you now, that's not true. you. Then. No, that's
1: that's true. And actually, I well maybe I should go with that because it wasn't homemade. But I did at one point get somebody like a paracord bracelet that's like for emergencies oh, yeah. if you're camping. So okay. Homemade friendship bracelets it is.
3: And then I would go with the pretty palette from Sephora because my best friend is a makeup artist. So I was like, oh, nice.
2: uh, oh yeah, that kind was easy a- for you. Yeah. <laughs> as I've gotten older, I've gotten really into frame photos yeah. of myself. Well, not of myself. <laughs> <laughs> the truth comes well, out. People in my life. <laughs> I feel like as I started like settling into my home more, I started being more into photos. So yeah. I feel
0: that. You and your friend had an argument over the weekend. What's your next move? You meet at her locker first thing Monday morning to talk. You're not leaving until till it's settled. Send her a text with a simple sorry and tear face emoji. Make her a cute apology card with a handwritten nice handwritten note inside. Crack a joke to break the tension, laugh about it, and hug it out. Just forget about it and move on. No use bringing it up again. Mm-hmm. Um, For me, I feel like... I'm the kind of person that probably just try to crack a joke to break the tension, laugh about it and hug it out. But also at the same time, I don't like when things aren't discussed, depending Mm -hmm. on how bad the argument was. Um, So sometimes the cracking the joke will be like, "Okay, we cool. But also sometimes we may have to talk about it. But I'm going to pick the crack the joke because I'm not a handwritten note person. And that's the closest.
1: I feel like it depends on whose fault the argument is, too. Mm-hmm. That as well. Because <laughs> like, if it good was of a definitely friend. me, then I need to apologize. But if it was them and I'm just kind of over it now, like then cracking the joke is what I'm going to do.
0: Yeah. I think the locker thing is just not really relatable because we're we don't have lockers. right we don't I have I mean
1: lockers. we do technically have lockers at some of the branches but like nobody hangs out at the lockers.
0: Right. And when I was in school we didn't really use our lockers there either. Really?
1: <laughs> yeah, no, but, um when I was in high school um we were
0: assigned lockers at the beginning of the school year and then we, ne- we had to get, bring our own locks and we never really have enough time in between schools, t- in between classes to kind of use it. So instead, you had the people who never used their lockers at all. And then you had people who had multiple lockers around the school using lockers near all their classes. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that sounds like chaos. real estate.
0: <laughs> no, for real.
2: <laughs> um, I said meet at her locker first thing Monday morning to talk because I do not like to leave things hanging. Especially if someone has said something to me, we're going to talk about it. So I will not be leaving until it's settled. I definitely feel like the just forget about it and move
3: on definitely wouldn't work just because I feel like it's going to be hard to pick back up where you left off if it's something like an elephant in the room. So I went with the make a cute apology card with a nice handwritten note inside. And that kind of reminded me of like my best friend, like the last time we got into it, talked about it, but the card kind of helped solidify things. It helped us move on in a better
0: way.
1: Did you say yours already, Heather? Yeah, I I went with crack a joke. Oh, yeah, you did say that. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. All right
0: okay so i'm gonna click click for results okay so um it says you're claudia artsy and outgoing you definitely have an eye for design and you totally own it like claudia not only are you a crafting queen but you're a problem-solving pro aka you can handle anything and your knack for nixing nuances can make you a better bestie too the next time one of your friends is struggling, offer to brainstorm solutions with them, then come up with a plan of action to tackle their trouble. Your creativity plus killer, killer confidence equals BFF goals. I was also Claudia. Me too. Dang <laughs> Me too.
1: Wait a That's
3: weird because we all pick different
1: questions. I'm going to try to get a different yeah. answer. <laughs> Maybe it's only one answer. <laughs> all roads lead to Claudia. Maybe um, it's just supposed to, like, be an inoffensive quiz because they think everyone wants to be Claudia. I will say, like, I do want to be Claudia. I, All of us wanted to be Claudia when I was a kid and we read these.
2: Take this quiz
0: Claudia again. Claudia was goals.
1: I'm taking it again.
0: I'm just going to go with what my I'm second back answers would have been real quick and just, like.
2: I'm trying to get Stacy. I wasn't expecting I those Claudia results. Again. I
1: think <laughs> Claudia is the only <laughs> Claudia. It's the default. I love that for us. Each episode, we ask whether our book passes the Bechdel test. The Bechdel test asks whether a work features two female characters who talk to each other about something that doesn't involve men or boys. Does it pass?
0: Absolutely. And I was trying to keep from mentioning when we talked about, like, is this a feminist work earlier? Because honestly, the mention of boys in this book is very minimal. And I kind of like that. You know, like they, you know, like it's just like, a okay. Went to the dance, blah, blah, whatever. Okay, so here's what's really going on in their lives. Yeah.
2: Yeah, they're talking about their business. Yeah. That's the ultimate passing of the Bechdel test. That's all they talk about.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, that's it for this episode of These Books Made Me. Join us next time when we'll discuss a book about a search for a missing father. If you think you know which book we're tackling next, drop us a tweet. We're at PGCMLS on Twitter and hashtag These Books Made Me. You can also send us your questions at thesebooksmademe at pgcmls.info. For historical deep dives and read-alikes, check out our blog, which is linked in the episode notes. Yay! We've been doing this podcast for three seasons and no one's ever emailed us.